Hallelujah. How many of you are thankful for the goodness of God? Say amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We want to welcome you today to Victory Church. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here. We're thrilled to have you. There are a number of great churches in our community in West Memphis and Marion that we know that you could have visited this morning. We thank you for coming and being our guest if it's your first time. We welcome you here. If you're back again, we're thrilled that you've come back to uh, check things out and worship with us today. I uh, had a wonderful Thanksgiving series of Thanksgiving celebrations over the weekend. Uh, everybody was so kind to uh, extend an open door. Uh, this is the first year that I've not had my children in, Drew and Holly, who are now engaged to be married, went to Abilene to Holly's parents uh, for Thanksgiving with them. And Abby stayed in New York City because she's going to be with us a little extended time in December. And so um, I went to some friend's house in Jonesboro where they always have a, what they call a Friendsgiving. They have their own family and then they, they have a just massive house and so they always bring in a lot of strays that uh, don't have family coming in or maybe they don't have family at all. And so it was great to be with a lot of college friends that I haven't seen in a number of years and be able to celebrate time together. I have some stories I'm going to share with you later in the, the message. And then I enjoyed again on Saturday with the Graftons here in the church. We had a great time together and laughed and cut up and had delicious food and great time together. And so hope that you uh, had plenty. Probably most of you in the room had more than you need to. But we're going, we're going to just extend forgiveness for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Uh, <clears throat> today's a new day. Tomorrow the, the, the diets start, okay, as best you can. Between now and uh, all of the Christmas parties that you'll be doing with work and holidays, this is a great season. I love this time of year. Um, I, did any of you get out and go shop on Black Friday? Did you get up early and go do that? You know, I just want to say to folks that can't get to church on time, how do you get to the stores on time? <laughs> How, how, do you, how do you Black Friday shop at 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning, but you can't show up to church on time? I, I'll leave that alone. I, I'll just, uh, that, that's the free part. Guess I'm not talking to you, okay? I'm talking to the home folk. <laughs> All right, I'll leave that alone. <clears throat> uh, today is the final message in the series that we've been doing out of the book of Galatians called Justified. Justification is a Bible term. It's a particularly theological term that you don't hear used very often. Uh, it's a legal term, which means to be made right. Uh, and so when we're, when we're teaching a concept from the book of Galatians and calling the series Justified, it's important that we let the Scripture say what it says about what justification is. And the Bible clearly teaches justification by faith alone. And that was brought to bear after a thousand years of darkness in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, through the Dark Ages, Middle Ages, we had a period where church tradition really began to reign supremely over the written word of Scripture. And so to the forefront, God brings the likelihood of a German monk by the name of Martin Luther. We've celebrated the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation which began October 31st, All Saints' Eve, All Hallows' Eve, later became known as Halloween. On October 31st, 1517, Martin nailed 95 theses or arguments in Latin, which the population couldn't read. It was meant to become a, an academic discussion over some of the problems that he was seeing in the church that didn't agree with the clear uh, pronouncement of Scripture. 
And so from that point, uh, sometimes we have a tendency to skew history a little bit. We can almost think that there was a whole host of people, a mob standing out there cheering Martin as he nailed those 95 theses, and it probably went unnoticed. Uh, but it certainly wasn't unnoticed by uh, the absolutist kings and queens, the monarchs of Europe that had reigned with unquestionable power and authority. And it certainly was quickly noticed by uh, the popes uh, of Europe, which had reigned with unquestionable authority. And so Martin began to question. That sowed seeds for what we now enjoy called democracy. Vox Populi, the voice of the people, arose after one man had the guts. Maybe that's a little crass to say it that way. Let's, let's sanctify it and call it the God-guided guts to stand up in the face of absolutist governments and absolutist spiritual authority and begin to question. And he had, he had his questions substantiated and built on the solid rock of the Word of God. And uh, it, was, it was a critical time in history. There were people who literally gave their lives and became Greek word marturion. We get the English word martyr from that. It's also the word for witness, which is probably the ultimate degree to which one becomes a witness for Christ is to become marturion, to become a martyr uh, because of the cause of Christ, to suffer uh, and be persecuted and even give your life because of your conviction, your belief in Jesus Christ <clears throat> as your personal Savior and Lord. Now, I don't know what I just did, but I just lost. There you go. Okay, they came back. And I'm thinking for a minute, okay, I'm going to preach, preach by faith. I'm going <laughs> to fly blind here, uh, which is not a, not a hard thing, but I do want to make sure I get content, and so that's the reason I keep this in front of me. Our series has utilized the, the heart of the book of Galatians, which is found in the very middle of the book, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, Galatians 3.11 is our text that we have used. The title of today's message is called Understanding Harvest Season. Understanding Harvest Season. And I'll say a little bit about that in a moment. Let's go ahead and jump and get our series text. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God. That's the word for justified right there. We're using the New Living Translation because I don't have to stop and take time to unpack uh, Elizabethan English words out of the King James. It would, it would say that you can't be justified by obedience to the law. So it says here, so it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The last sentence, we are most familiar with it from the King James because it appears in Habakkuk, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And it says it the same way all four times. Old and new covenants bearing witness one to another. And it says, say it with me, the just shall live by faith. Okay, And so that was the battle cry of the Reformation. Justification by faith alone. It had been a mixture. It had been the idea that your faith and your trust in Christ mixed with all of your good works together provides you a chance that you can enjoy eternal life in heaven. And what Martin began to see from Scripture is that this idea of mixture with works had nothing to do with the biblical idea of the gospel or the biblical concept of justification by faith alone. So he brought that to bear and the world was turned upside down. He began to preach messages in the language of the people and their common vernacular and he preached sermons in German, and he printed use, utilizing the technology of the day. He utilized Gutenberg, Gutenberg's printing press and printed the first translation of the Bible in German. 
And not only an exciting revival ensued, but a reformation took place. Uh, You know, we've seen revivals take place throughout history. A series of events over a period of time, lasting sometimes even into the decades, but it doesn't have an ongoing influence on all of culture the way a true reformation does. And so today, 500 years later, I'm not just saying God send revival. I'm praying God literally at the very foundations of our culture. Shake this, O God, and what has left over, what cannot be shaken, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that we'll have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So that's my prayer, that God will not only send us revival and pour out the Holy Spirit, but God will raise up leaders so that we can affect uh, all of the areas of culture, media and the arts and science, and see the kingdom of God advance. Somebody, if you believe that, say amen. All right, our text for this morning's message as we close, this is the number nine in the series out of Galatians, and we're calling it Understanding Harvest Season. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3 that to everything there is a season. There is a time to plant, and there is a time to harvest. I'm thankful that in my own personal life and in this congregation, we are in a mega harvest season. We heard from First Community Bank on Tuesday this last week And they were waiting on the final of getting my medical records released for a million-dollar term life policy. Uh, That was the minimum they would take to hold in collateral at the bank because we've got our new $3.5 million loan has been approved. And she said the papers will be ready. We're getting this last thing from State Farm for your term life policy. And we'll be ready to sign next week. So notify all your trustees. So let's put our hands together and give the Lord praise. Now... Let me say this, I have no idea what Flintco is going to do. They might say, okay, we'll start next week and we'll be announcing a groundbreaking and they could say, you know what, with winter coming, we're going to wait till spring. I hope that's not the case. I don't have any beginning or any, any preemptory kind of knowledge about that at this point. So just pray with me for a light winter and for them to get started so we can be in about July or August of next year. Uh, and if not, then it'll certainly be by November or December. So 2018, you're going to be sitting in a new seat in a new building giving God praise on our property out there. Put, the, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Amen. All right. Our text for today's message is Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Read it out loud with me, please. Here we go. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Say it again one more time like you mean it. Here we go. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. The King James says it this way, do not grow weary in doing good. He says, for in due season, everybody say due season. Here it says that just the right time, in due season, we will reap if we do not faint. King James says, we will reap if we do not faint. So I'm excited that we're in a harvest of blessing. And how many of you know, harvest time is never quitting time. Nobody quits in harvest because if you've made it through plowing and you've made it through planting and you've made it through cultivation and you've beat back all the pestilence and you've cultivated, put out the herbicide and you've sprayed the Roundup and you've gotten the whole crop in there and it's growing and it's, man, it's ready to be harvested, that's when you... Draw in a good breath and you get your second win and you finish it. You, you finish the course because you know great blessing is just over the hill and great celebration falls, follows great blessing. So harvest time is never quitting time. This morning, one thing that I want to weave through the message, 
The one thing that I always bring, I learned this from Andy Stanley a number of years ago. I read his book called Communicating for Change, and he said, I always have one thing that I drive home in every message because people don't remember the next week what you preach, but if you can get one thing in their heart and they can carry that with them, then that becomes something that can sustain them and feed them and encourage them and challenge them, help them to become doers of the word and not merely hearers only, as the book of James says. Somebody say amen. So here's our one thing. Say it with me, please. Actions and attitudes are seeds that produce a harvest. How we treat others will always come back to us. Once more like you mean it, actions and attitudes are seeds that produce a harvest. How we treat others will always come back to us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to stand in your presence and lift our hands and our hearts to worship you in this place. Thank you for our nation. Lord, we're great. We're grateful for all that you have done for us. Lord, throughout history, thank you for Jesus at the cross of Calvary. Thank you that he buried every accusing voice of the law, every sin and its penalty. Thank you that he got up out of the ground on the third day and he gave us newness of life. Father, thank you that we are alive today because Jesus died and was buried, was raised again on the third day for us. We give you praise in this place. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to... Move in my life, be in my mouth, and my thoughts, and my words. Lord, be in our hearts, be the ears on our heads. Lord, be the hearing in our heart, in the middle of our souls, O God. Help us, Lord, be impacted and influenced. Let this word penetrate the soil of our soul. Let it bring change and transform us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. We'll be careful to give you all the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Two big points this morning. Two big points that I want to bring home. The first one is it's always about others. Say it with me. It's always about others. It was a comic strip that Charles Schultz did for years called Peanuts. Charlie Brown said, The secret to happiness is realizing that the purpose of your life is serving others. And Lucy comes back and says, Okay, well, what are all those others' purpose? And they didn't answer it in the strip, I think that really the ultimate idea is to take the life-giving message of the gospel to others and then they receive it and are transformed and they join us and come on the team to take the life-giving message to others. And others are changed and they come join us and then we take the life-giving message to others until every soul on the planet has been impacted and influenced with the life-giving message of the gospel. Somebody say amen. It's always about others. This morning I want to grab verses 1 through 10 just to get the spirit of the text quickly. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 10. We're going to read it through without comment all the way through. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help. Everybody say help. Help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You ain't all that, he says. You are not that important. Verse 4, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things, with them. Verse 7, here it comes. Don't be misled. You cannot mock 
the justice of God, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Here's our text for today's message. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Last verse in this section. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. All of God's people said amen. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Bless it to our hearing in Jesus' name. The New Testament is replete with the concept of biblical community. Over and over and over, some 59 different ways, the New Testament writers through the Gospels, through the Pauline epistles, through the general epistles, book of Revelation, it says 59 different ways, something one to another or one another. It says love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another, John 13, 35. It says forgive one another. It says encourage one another, be kind, serve, accept one another, pray for one another, comfort one another, challenge one another, warn, stir up in faith one another, be devoted to one another, be hospitable, share with one another. I remember uh, as a child in Sunday school years ago learning Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do, Ephesians 4.32. I'll keep my day job, okay? Um, but we used to do all kinds of things to get the scripture in us. And in three different ways it says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And the New Testament talks about this community in which we're in. It, it's, it's easy, let me just say this, it would be so easy just to follow Jesus if I didn't have any of you in the process with me. But it's all of us. I'm in the mix too. Because when you get Jesus, you get all of his clan, you get his family. Just like the, 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 the experience that you might have had at the Thanksgiving table. I don't know if you had any fireworks or not with your in-laws and your outlaws and all of those others that, that were there. Usually there's a, a nice, interesting discussion that pops up at some point. Usually at every family table there will be a, a raging liberal and there will be a hard-hearted conservative at all of them that are extremists on both ends and they both think the other is the devil and they're, they're both idiots. And everybody else usually just watches the ping, or listens to the ping-pong match back and forth. And, or it's, it's an interesting religious discussion which turns into an argument. And, you know, it's just people, people. You know, it's, it's, it's like the age-old thing. It's the people that are the problem. As somebody said one time, you know, I love the ministry. It's the people I can't stand. You know, teacher says, man, I love teaching. It's the students I can't deal with. You know, somebody else says, I love my job. I just hate the public. How many of you know people, it's, they're the most wonderful, relationships are the most wonderful thing in life and the most painful thing that we have to go through because it's where really we die on the cross, the, the daily cross of taking up our cross every day is, is the cross, the upward bar of reaching up to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and then the, the outreaching bar, the horizontal bar of loving others as ourselves. I'm good at loving God with all of my heart. It's all the rest of you that I struggle with. Now anybody else in the room free enough and real enough to say I know exactly what you're talking about, Pastor. Family relationships, friends, neighbors, co-workers, man, will drive you out of your mind. 
And it's where you really get to prove whether or not you have last week's message, walking in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and a package of figs, all nine. Love, joy, peace, package, PKJ, patience, kindness, goodness, figs, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the way I know I can quote. See, it sounds so, so sharp when I can give you all nine, but when I tell you how I do it, I use all kinds of little ways. Because Jesus was always looking for figs on a fig tree. So the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, and a package of figs. That's the free part. wasn't even in my notes. All right. 59 times in the New Testament he tells us something about the one another's. And we're going to see another one right here in this passage as we look back. The first section here I'm talking about, God tells us to bear each other's burdens. Everybody say bearing burdens. Okay, so if you're taking notes... We're talking about bearing the burdens of other people. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, King James, the, the, the Greek actually says you who are spiritual. Okay, so really if, you, if you're walking with God in a living, growing relationship, then you, you, you can be classified as being godly, being spiritual. Okay, because if you have a living, growing relationship, you can't keep practicing sin and stay in it. The convicting presence and power of the Holy Spirit is going to work on you. You're keeping the channels open by confessing known sin and letting the Spirit of God deal with you and learning daily, not always being perfect. That's not what it's about, but it's about growing in Him. Okay, And learning to receive the correction that the Word of God will bring. If I'll just open it and open my heart, not just for me to read it, but to allow it to read me. I just said a mouthful and I didn't get in an amen at all. Really, when you open the Word, you don't read it, it reads you. Come on, saints. And so he says, he says, you should gently and humbly help. Now, for six chapters, nine messages today as we conclude this one, Paul the Apostle has been dealing with legalists in the Galatian churches. Legalists who are all about gold star merit systems, keeping the commandments of the law of God, but he's already given us a, a very, very carefully crafted, built theological argument to show us that even these people themselves do not keep the whole law of God. And when you break any part of it, you're guilty of breaking all of it, he's shown us, as is reiterated again in, in the witness of the book of James. And so he, he, he basically lays it out for us here and he says, how do you help people? How do you respond to somebody else's sin? You know, I, I think it is um, very much the way I've heard people. If you live long enough, you probably have to at some point go under the knife to have some a medical procedure done or a surgery. Matter of fact, I'm supposed to have oral surgery this next Thursday. Uh, I, I, was, I was sucking on a peppermint, and um, I, the, the, the far back crown just broke out from my, all the way back in the back of my, my head and uh, on the left top. And, and, and I'll just tell you this, I probably didn't have good dental hygiene when I was a child because by the time I was 10 or 11, the, the back teeth on top and bottom were all filled. And, of course, that's been a 1,000 years ago. And I remember when everybody was scared about mercury fillings and we were taking those out and then we were crowning everything. And, and so um, somebody says, you have a gold crown? Well, I thought gold was a little bit stronger than porcelain, so I had them put in gold back here because I want these babies to work. So um, anyway, it broke out. And uh, they said, well, you know, that's it. It's going to have to just pull it because you've got all these roots. And they said, it's going to be like having three teeth impacted. I said, thank you for the details. And uh, so, uh, so I'm going in Thursday this week to, to have a little bit of oral surgery. And somebody said one time, you know the difference in minor and major surgery. Minor is when somebody else gets it and major is when it happens to you. 
<laughs> and I think that sometimes we have that same kind of a concept when it comes to dealing with sin. Because when, when my sin is the subject on the table, then I want grace and mercy. But somebody else's sin, if I'm a legalist, then I want to talk about it and I want to tell everybody else about it. We're going to gossip about it. And, and none of that is in the text here where I gently and humbly help. Because gossiping about it and, and tattling on it and uncovering, disclosing it, shouting it from the housetop, somebody else's sin is not gently and humbly anything. And certainly it's not help. God says, let me just tell you this, how I respond to somebody else's sin tells more about me and my heart than the sin does about the guilty person. And so Paul is saying you want to bear each other's burdens. And he goes on to the second verse and he says it this way. He says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. I, I won't mention names, but I was shocked several years back when we were actually rewriting the bylaws to what became the West Memphis Marian Ministerial Fellowship. And a, a preacher who's no longer here was, was pretty active in the community at that time. We were reading through what had been written by the pastors in the 1950s and it had said something about fulfilling the law of Christ. And this particular pastor said, what is that? Christ had no law. And I, I, I kept my mouth shut because I wanted, I, didn't, I wanted to go, were you idiot? Didn't you go to seminary? Better than that, do you read your Bible? Clearly it's stated in, here in the book of Galatians that when we bear each other's burdens, we obey the law of Christ. As a matter of fact, Romans says when we walk in love, we have fulfilled the law. And the law of Christ, it doesn't appear certainly a whole bunch of times in the Bible, but we have the understanding that the law of Christ is when he summed up the ten and he gave us the two big ones. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So the big ten became the big two. And we understand that when I walk in love, I automatically fulfill the written letter of the law, but I do it not from an external force on the outside, but from an internal influence on the inside of my heart. It's from Christ living on the inside of me Himself. The life which I now live, Galatians 2, says, I am crucified with Christ, yet not I. But the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So Christ is alive in our hearts, living now the perfect law of liberty through us. If we'll just let Him live through us, somebody say amen. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You ain't all that. You are not that important. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't all that. The point of the issue is, is that none of us in here is so important that we're more important than the rest of the body of Christ. We need each other. I can't do this by myself. You cannot do it by yourself. We become the joined together parts of the net that God uses to cast into the delta, to draw in the fish, to see them transformed and be born again into the kingdom of God, to bring them into the family of God. Like the systems and the structure of your body, the, the skeletal and the muscular and the circulatory and the respiratory and the, all of the other systems, the nervous system. Everything has a place and it's working and it's connected and every joint is supplying as the book of Ephesians tells us. So we stay connected to the head which is Jesus and we stay connected to one another. That's the upward reach to God and the outward reach to each other. And I learn to love and flow and, and, and to forgive and to encourage and to challenge. And all of the one another's become important. 
And I want you to remember that how we handle someone else's sin says more about us than the sin says about the guilty party. There's a difference in how a legalist deals with someone else's sin and how a spirit-led believer deals with it. It's always gentle because God always, His first motivation is to show mercy. But you know what? I can be hard and think I'm all that. And you know what? If I am his child, he has a way of taking me out to the woodshed. And he can give me a switching. He can bring some correction. He can teach me. And God's God's dealings in my life as a believer are never punitive, but they're therapeutic. Now, you may feel like you're being punished. Somebody said one time, God will never harm you, but he may hurt you. There's a difference in the two. He may hurt your feelings. But he'll never harm you. Come on, saints. And so when we let the Father, who has a heart and a love for us and the ability to see the end from the beginning, which we do not have, let him move and bring correction. And, and when we can come in brokenness and say, God, I am, I am a mess. I am ruined. God, I ask you to, to, to transform my life. Forgive me of this sin. Help me to break this pattern of destructive behavior. Deal with this habit, oh God, in my heart. As soon as you are broken and ready to receive and you can come in that attitude... God's first response is to pour mercy, to gently and humbly help you. Come on, somebody. Now, he's asking that we be willing to do the same with others when their sin is on the table. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, mind your own business. You don't need to compare yourself to anybody else. Just do your job, be faithful, show up on time, be committed, have a good attitude, even when you have to decide to have a good attitude. Some days I don't want to get out of the bed. In the last year that I've been through and losing my wife to such a tragic set of circumstances, I truly can stand before you today and tell you that God has, I don't think He's finished, but He's begun the amazing process of healing my broken, wounded heart. And I can sing the words now and mean it. It is well with my soul. I can say that and I can say, God, thank you for bringing emotional health back to me. And I talk to her sometimes. I go, honey, pray for me. You're in a better place than I am. You know, I, I know that without a shadow of a doubt. Pay careful attention to your own work. Satisfaction of a job well done. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Verse 6 says this. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Now, I'm not going to take a long time on this because I don't want anybody to think that I'm after you doing anything for me. This congregation has been generous with me, who's been so good to me and my family. You've come alongside me and supported me. You've let me get up here off and on through this year and having different people come in and, and speak, giving me a time of break so that I could be on the, on the front row and just worship and let God speak to me and let the water of the Word wash over my soul and wash me and bring healing and restoration. You've endured when I've gotten up here and blubbered through a message as a wave would come over me. Because those of you who've been through grief know you don't plan it. It just happens out of the blue. Some things that you don't even plan for can trigger it. And here it comes and boom, you're there. And I'm grateful. I'm thankful. Tim Keller, a hero of mine, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, says this. He says, gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. I'm grateful, but people don't know it until you tell them, till you give thanks, till you're thankful. And so I'm giving you my thanks now. Much love, over and over and over. And I'm telling you, I'm grateful for all that you have done. But I want to tell you, God intends not only for us to bear burdens with one another, but to share blessings with one another. So if you've been mentored by somebody, someone's been a good life group leader, remember them. 
at Christmas. Somebody's a good city employee and they always pick up if the garbage can falls and they never leave trash in your yard. Give them a good tip this Christmas. It'll, it'll blow them away. I tip my, the trash men and the post office woman every Christmas and they, they're always glad to see me when I walk out in the yard because they know they're going to get something. How I many of we all like to get something? Be generous. You've been blessed. Somebody's been working and blessing you. Well, my taxes pay their salary. Well, well, come off of it, you old Scrooge, and loosen up a little bit and bless somebody. Be generous. Share your blessings. This is the season to do it. What if we could live the whole year round like that? Instead of just once a year throwing into the Salvation Army pot. What if we could just give a, live a life of generosity and blessing? How different the world would be. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite teachers, said it this way. How we use material things shows the value that we put on spiritual things. Because there is an eternal realm that we choose to either live with that perspective or not. We can, we can use people for things or we can use things to bless people. And I believe that things are always far down the priority list over people any day. We need to love each other and share our blessings with each other and invest and sow seeds into the lives of other people that are in need and not when God encourages you to bless somebody. Bless them just because the Lord said, not because you think they desperately need it. Because sometimes that's just good soil to sow into in your own life. Somebody say amen. Why? Because actions and attitudes are seeds that produce a harvest. How we treat others will always come back to us. Verse 7, harvest principles. If you've got space on your notes or you're taking notes, write these things down. I'm going to give you three principles real quick that are good harvest principles that we glean from this. Now let me say this to you this morning. Just because TV preachers who trot this verse out every time it's time for a telethon, use this to manipulate people to pay their broadcast fees for their TV shows, doesn't negate the fact just because somebody abuses a scripture or misuses a scripture doesn't mean it still doesn't have a proper use. But I want to tell you that finance is not the subject of this whole thing. It is one among many different kinds of seeds that we sow and harvest. If you will be generous with your blessings and you will sow seeds in that regard, God will always bring back to you in kind and what you've sown, always over and abundant what you sowed. But this is about loving and forgiving and bearing burdens and gently and humbly helping folks. It's about a whole lot of things because actions and attitudes are seeds that produce a harvest and how we treat others will always come back to us. Look at verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. First principle I want to give you this morning in harvest principles. Are you ready? Here we go. You always reap after you've sown. You don't reap first and then plant. So you want to be about the deliberate, intentional business of investing in your spouse. Investing in your business. Investing in your neighbor. Now, investment doesn't always mean money. Investment may mean time. Investment may mean encouraging words. Investment may mean corrective words that are truth spoken in love. Truth and love are both important variables in that because if you just love somebody and never tell them the truth, it's really meaningless. But if you tell them the truth and don't have love, then that's compassionless. It's heartless. 
And we must have both. And we must be willing to make that investment and take the risk. Anytime you invest, there's always, I learned this in business school, there's always an ROI, a return on investment. The higher the risk, the higher the return on the investment. How many of you know Jesus was willing to risk it all for the likes of every one of us in this room? And he invested his precious blood, that which is priceless, in order for us to enjoy. And he's having and will have an eternal return on his investment, an eternal harvest of souls because he was willing to die in my place, die in my stead, and to become the king of the universe. Hallelujah. You always reap after you've sown. Verse 8, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Very simply, you always reap what you sow. Say it with me. You always reap what you sow. Genesis chapter 1 gives us this concept of the law of seed time and harvest in every living thing. It was a seed-bearing plant containing life in itself and it produced and imprinted the DNA into the next generation. You plant a tomato seed, you don't reap a potato crop. Miss Shirley Caesar, the great uh, black gospel singer, tells us, I'm I'm thankful because I've got tomatoes, potatoes, greens, beans, ham, lamb, whatever it is, you know, she just, (laughs) if you've never heard that. but it's like the old, old codger said it this way, you don't plant maters and get taters. Because every seed produces after its kind. When God made man in Genesis 1.26, he said, let us make man in, after our image and in our likeness. And so there is a kind, there is the image of God, there is the imago Dei, there is the imprimatur of God that's been stamped into the soul of your life. Even though in sin that image is marred and broken, there is still the image of God which requires that every human on the planet be given and deserves what we call human dignity. Regardless of race or creed or belief or color or even, I I believe, even orientation or lifestyle, even though I don't agree with someone's lifestyle, whether you want to argue it was a choice or they were born that way, that's, that's a side issue. They still deserve to be treated with human dignity and respect and love. That's the free part. I didn't have it in my notes. How many of you know sometimes we can just get all tied up and wrapped up in whatever our personal political persuasion is and we are drawn to all the talking heads of whichever side and the tragedy is, is that we end up demonizing the other side and we never get anything done. And I want to just say this to you, when I, when I preach against both of those, don't think for a second that I'm not in my own heart because of my biblical worldview, I, I lean to the conservative side. But I don't demonize my liberal brothers and sisters because there are people who love Jesus who have, who have chosen that particular side of political ideology and we can't. Let me just tell you, the kingdom of God, the, the, the alternative to nationalist politics is not hyper-liberalism, it's called the kingdom of God. Jesus always comes and brings us a third choice. And I want to tell you, if you're on either of those sides, if you're, a, if you're a hardline conservative or you're a flaming liberal, either side, let me invite you into the third choice. It's called the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Because both of those ideologies will end up, it's a zero-sum game, and you end up as a loser. 
But the kingdom of God, if we'll advance that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that means sometimes when we open the word, it means sometimes I'll sound like a conservative and sometimes I'll sound like a liberal. Because guess what? That's what Jesus does. He has a great ability just to tick off both sides. He did it except that day they were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he had them both mad at him all the time. Why? Because he was preaching the kingdom of God. That's the free part. Verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Look at this. You always reap in proportion to what you've sown. You take one kernel of corn, one seed corn, and you dig a hole and put it into the ground four or five inches deep, cover it over, water it, sunshine, rain, fertilizer. Here it comes. Boom. Out of the ground comes a little stalk. A little, just a little sprig that comes up and it becomes a full-grown stalk. And on that one stalk, you will have at least two to four ears of corn on that one stalk that was produced from one tiny seed. And every one of those ears will have a minimum of 300 individual kernels of corn on them. So if it's two stalks, you've probably got six, seven hundred seeds. Three, nine hundred, a thousand. Four, probably... 12, 14, 1500 seeds now that have been returned to you because you planted one seed. You will always reap in proportion to what you've sown. But what is so amazing is is that the, the equation that God gives us is that He always multiplies way more back to us than the individual seed that we sowed. And so guess what you do? You, you eat two of those. Yeah, you eat three of those. You have, a, we, you have a stalk with four ears on it. You eat three and you save one for next year's harvest. And you plant 300 seeds. And guess what happens? You get 300 stalks with two or three or four ears on every one of those stalks. And you can see how the kingdom of God has this multiplying effect of the blessing of God. Because to bless means empowered to prosper. And when you start obeying the laws of the kingdom of God and bearing each other's burdens gently and humbly helping them and you start sharing your blessings with others who have blessed you, guess what? You start sowing a crop and you're going to produce a crop after what you've sown. You're going to produce a crop in the kind of what you've sown and you're going to reap a crop in proportion to what you've sown. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. You get anything out of this this morning? Let me wrap it up. Second point moves pretty quickly. Verse 10 says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Why? Because actions and attitudes are like seeds that produce a harvest. How we treat others will always come back to us. Second big point, we never outgrow the cross. Say it with me. We never outgrow the cross. Let's get these verses 11 through 18. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. It's just a, just a pageant. It's just a show. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. There it is right there. Verse 13, and even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. They want to count your nickels and your noses and publish them in their fastest growing legalism church. All right? Verse 14, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because of that cross 
My interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. 15, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Everybody say, born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Old things have passed away, the King James says. All things are become new. So it's this idea of God giving us a fresh start. Nothing matters whether you're circumcised, whether you're not circumcised. Let me, let me bump that in the New Testament. Whether you're baptized or not doesn't save you. The issue is whether or not you've been made a new creation. Now you follow it as an action of the heart to demonstrate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Literally buried in the water is a symbol of His death coming up out of it in newness of life. But that water does not save you. The water is wet, but it will not save you. When you go down in the water, it's because you've already been saved. Somebody say amen. Verse 16, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. And that's a mouthful right there. Two verses to the end. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things. He basically says, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Just shut up. For I bear on my body the scars that show that I belong to Jesus. And last verse, dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So we got three or four little things real quickly here. Number one, this is his final word on legalists. They're in it for a show. They don't really care about you. They just want to put you in their numbers. They want to boast that you're their disciples. Because they're not willing to be persecuted about the idea of the true center of the gospel, that is the cross alone can save you. And so Paul's giving a final word and he basically says in verse 17, don't want to hear about it. You remember that famous scene in Sweet Home Alabama? I know everybody in the room has seen it because they play it 14 times a day on, on four, three or four stations. Sweet Home Alabama, you remember Reese Witherspoon and, and, and she's at the wedding and she's about to marry the handsome, rich, young daughter or son of the, uh, the mayor of New York City and Candace Bergen is the mayor. I, when I was about 14, I had a crush on Candace Bergen. Uh, man, just mercy. Hot glory to God. Just thought she hung the moon. I don't know, I'm telling you that, it just came out. So I guess I'm just <laughs> revealing the hidden secrets in my heart. Um, and, and, and I remember basically when Reese Witherspoon makes the decision because she gets the word from the lawyer that she's not yet divorced from Jake. Is that his name in, in the movie? Yeah. Come on, all you know, you've seen the movie. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so she's sort of a little bit tentative. She's standing there holding the pen and she starts to sign it and then she backs up and she looks... She looks at uh, her fiancé and she says, you don't want to marry me. And he says, I don't. And, and so she, she makes her statement and the mama gets mad. Why don't you go after him? Don't you let that young whatever hussy, whatever she said, called her, uh, you know, put, sh shut you out like this. You're going to be the next president of the United States. And the mama, Reese Witherspoon's mama said, now she said her piece. That's all there is. That's the bottom line. Don't want to hear any more about it. And you remember the mayor comes back and she says, oh, why don't you go to your double wide and fry something? And with it, Reese wasn't going to have that, so she doubles up her fist and knocks the mayor out. And everybody hollers and says, ooh, the south is going to rise again. And meet us down at the local watering hole. We're going to have ourselves a wedding. And so I don't know why I told you that scene, but I remember the line where the mama said, she said her piece, that's it. That's basically what Paul is saying. Don't trouble me with this anymore. I don't want to hear any more about it. Do not let this spirit of legalism get in your church, Galatia. All of your churches, 
It's the cross of Christ. It's not keeping the law. You can't be justified. You can't get gold stars. You can't earn merit badges for your religious sash. He says, this is the last time I'm going to say this. Don't trouble me with this anymore. This is the bottom line. He says, this is my final word. But what he does say is, folks, in the middle of all of this, the cross is front and center. It is the source of everything. It changes everything. It is the central influence in our lives. It dramatically changed us. It became a line that divided my past from my present and my future. And no more am I defined by who I was, but now I'm defined from the cross forward. Too many preachers and too many churches this morning in the Delta will take time beating up a congregation, telling them how no good, low-down bunch of room full of sinners they are. And what he's failed to realize is that that was true B.C. before Christ. But now they are a new creation with a new spirit motivated by a living Christ on the inside. And because they've never really fully appreciated and understood the revelation of the new creation of God, they end up keeping people in diapers Because they're taught every Sunday, well, you're going to sin a little bit every day. And guess what? Belief affects behavior. And you stay defeated and you stay downcast and downtrodden. When if somebody would just preach Christ consciousness and righteousness consciousness and new creation consciousness because of the cross, hallelujah. I'm going to fool around and get a little bit passionate about this. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. You keep coming back to the cross and it will radically transform. Your spirit has already been changed, but God begins to work on your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. Your mind is what you think. Your will is what you want. Your emotions are what you feel. And until I'm willing to lose that suke, that soul life of my mind, my will, my emotions and let it die for His will, His mind, His emotions for me. And I begin to see what He thinks about me and what He wants for me and what He feels for me. Then it begins to transform who I am from the inside out. Hallelujah. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not, what counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. That's the bottom line right there. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. He says, for these are the new people of God. King James says, upon the Israel of God. I'm not undoing anything with national Israel or the piece of geography in the Middle East but the eternal purpose of God that he purposed in Christ Jesus is tied up not in your natural birth whether you are Jew or Greek or male or female or bond or free come on Galatians 3 28 29 tells us that in Christ none of that even matters anymore it doesn't even count but it's whether or not you're in Christ or not it's not your Jewishness that makes you the people of God It's when you've been born of the Spirit and you've been born again. It's not your first birth that makes you. It's your second birth. You must be born again. Jesus said that to a Jew one day in John 3. His name was Nicodemus, a teacher of the people. You must be born again. So the people of God that God's talking about, the covenant people of God now in the new covenant are these people who have been transformed and are in the new creation. Everybody say, that's me. Here we go. Let's finish it this morning. It says in verse 17, from now on, he says, 
Don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show that I belong to Jesus. Something's going on here. I'm trying to scroll up, and it's like enlarging the whole screen, and I can't get to it. Verse 18, there it is. I don't believe Paul is saying that he bears the five stigmata, that he's bleeding out of his hands. I'm not, it's another rabbit trail. I'm not going to take time to chase it down. Um, I believe he's talking about the suffering and the persecution that he's endured and literally whipped, shipwrecked, fasted 40 days, endured persecution because of his confession of who Jesus is. And he ends it by saying this, I love it. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and with your spirit. Amen. It's grace in the beginning because anytime you see one of the letters to the, that the Apostle Paul writes to any of the churches, he begins with grace and peace and he ends with grace and peace. I mean, you want to know why? Because grace is the thing that makes the huge difference in your life. Somebody said one time, if you don't cre- preach grace enough that until folks think that they can do anything and get away with it, you're not really preaching grace. But you keep preaching grace to remind them that grace is not an excuse to stay in your sin. Grace is the power of God to be delivered from it. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. I sat at Thanksgiving. They probably had 50 guests in their home and tables in all the various rooms. And I sat at the table and there was another doctor sitting beside me that I've known for years, really wonderful brother, probably one of the most fantastic drummers I've ever heard. Second probably only to our guy. By the way, let me just stop right here and just say this. Brett, I don't know if you can hear me in my office back there. They're watching the, the service on TV. Do you know that out of all these years, seven years Brett has been playing for us, he has never missed one Sunday? He's played with a broken finger. He's played with stomach flu. He's played with a cold. He's played, I mean, everything you can imagine. He may not talk to anybody. He may hide in the office. He may get in the booth and just whatever it is. But he has been faithful and committed. One more time, put your hands together. And so I'm sitting next to, I'm not going to say his full name. His first name is Carl. He's an infectious disease specialist there at St. Bernard's. And I've known him for years, a Jewish guy. And far from God, not even a practicing Jew, just kind of out there. And he had recently come to saving faith and confess Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And he said, he said, Pastor Michael, he said, I got dunked. And I said, and I don't usually hear it that way. He said, yeah, I got dunked. I said, you mean baptized? He said, yeah, that's what I said. Okay, great. <laughs> and, and he was so excited. He was telling me about how he'd, he'd asked Jesus to come into his heart. And, and let me tell you how amazing this is, because usually in very strict Jewish or Islamic homes, when you confess Christ, it's the end of the relationship. Some of them even have a funeral and declare that you're dead or they disinherit you. And what was so amazing was there was such a dramatic change in his heart and life that his mom had come to Christ too. Isn't that amazing? And so it's one of the most phenomenal Thanksgiving meals I've ever had because, I mean, we, we had an enjoyable Thanksgiving discussion sitting at that table. And he was, he was talking about in all of his study, he had studied all the religions of the world and he was quoting the Dalai Lama, a Tibetan Buddhist monk, and it was something of, related to karma, you know, which is kind of what goes around, comes around. And I said, well, you know, you realize that that concept is in every one of the major world religions. 
And I said in, in Christianity and in, in the Jewish religion, in, in the Hebrew culture and in Christian culture, we call that the law of sowing and reaping. Because don't be deceived, God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall he also reap. I said, but the difference between Christianity and the rest of the world is we have this amazing component called grace. And the cross separates you from your past. And because Jesus took on all of your karma, because Jesus paid the penalty for all your sins, you don't have to reap an eternal crop of destruction. And what's gone around in your past life doesn't have to come back around into your present life because Jesus has paid the penalty and He's broken the power of sin in your life. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. And so we're sitting at Thanksgiving and we're just about to have church because we're talking about the good news of the gospel and the, how great the grace of God is. And I said, that's what's so amazing about Jesus is that He... He drives a stake in the ground in your karma. And he says, because of the cross, you can have a fresh start. Everybody in the room has made some choices that you just assume nobody else in the room ever finds out about. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is this thing called grace. God gives you a fresh start and he wipes the slate clean. And so as we close this service this morning and they bring the lights down and every head bows, every eyes closed as we pray today, I just want to ask you,